Well, good morning, Todd. Good morning. Oh, it's a belter. There's a belter I like today. That. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm a little bit tired today. <laughs> Yesterday was kind Just of a monotone. big day. <laughs> I am no, tired I mean, today. In general, I it's been I had a tooth pulled on Friday. And that has not been great. Uh, it hurts. <laughs> but on top of that, we had a podcast yesterday. And then right afterwards, I went to my restaurant to do Oktoberfest or celebrate it, but also be the MC In your leader hosen? In my leader hosen for the Stein hoisting competition. And per usual, I was abused by <laughs> the people that participated. I swear these people think that they are in an international competition to win some kind of, you know, place in the record books of history. Because it's like, I can't tell you how many people came up afterwards arguing that that wasn't right. That call was bad. I'm like, this isn't even like a kid's softball game. Like, this isn't even that important. This is just how long a person can hold beer up. But, you know, I guess that shows the passion the passion of the people that come to the beer garden. So I will stop seeing it so much as a personal attack and just take it in stride. And thank you all for participating. <laughs> if you could just tone it down a little bit next year, I would really appreciate it. People are intense about that. They're intense. I They're mean, competitive. It, I guess so. It, clearly, but no, it was a good experience, but it was a big day. So today was, you know, a very glad that we had such a, cool guest to kind of just ugh, to wow. palate cleanser. <laughs> yes. Yes. So what have you been up to? You know, I have been up to, I'll get it real here for a second. I have been really sort of doing some soul searching and I am actively working on, and I say this because I'm trying to put it into practice daily. I'm actively been trying to work on being able to be still being able to be not around because I'm such an extrovert. It's I'm working on trying to be more. What's the word? Reflective, reflective, pensive, and present, mindful, present, present mindful. All of the things that we talk about on this podcast are sort of starting to seep in. And yeah. I can't, I've been trying to sort of, instead of, I have wonderful, incredible humans in my life, but I have to be in a place in my life where when I go to be a friend to somebody or be a partner to someone or whatever the case may be, I have to at least be actively healing my own trauma. And if I have a problem sitting still in silence, I think that there's underlying issues there that I am actively trying to work out in therapy. So I think it's really great to have this podcast as an outlet with you and I just want to say like, cause I'm, I travel all over. Do, I could say, you know, I'm just still doing my cruise ships and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But for today, for some reason, I just want to share with everybody that it is so important for us to stop, chill, smell the roses, like Sarah King says, Yeah, yeah. but to really kind of take a beat and say, you know, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to need to stop and make peace with some past traumas and some past, you know, moments in your life. And so that's what I've been up well, to. You know, I will say <laughs> journaling, journaling that, the whole thing, you know? Yeah. I will say that I have noticed a lot since we've kind of started this podcast too, that I used to 
every time I'd be cleaning, every time I'd be folding laundry, whatever, you know, doing really anything, I would always have to have a podcast in my ear. Like I'd always have to be listening to something. I couldn't just like be with my own thoughts while I did it. Hmm. And so I've tried to focus, you know, put it more into practice with doing some meditation. And well, you've been doing, didn't you do Reiki and you've done a bunch of yeah, stuff? Yeah, I did this Reiki. Week. Oh, yeah. I'm diving head first. What have you been doing? You did Reiki and you did something else. You did I reflexology. Did Reiki, I did reflexology. And then this Friday, after having my tooth pulled, I thought, you know, while I'm dumping toxic things, why don't <laughs> I go get a massage and get my aura cleansed? And it was amazing. Like, I can't right. tell you how much I know that there's people out there that are just rolling their eyes, but it is whatever works people. And it's been working. <laughs> and I have found that I will go like hours and be like, I haven't like turned on the TV or listened to anything. Like I've just been okay with right. myself and right. with, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this that you even mentioned that I seem a little bit more like calm, honestly, calm, calm and comfortable and- because and just feet on the ground, man. Like, cause you're always running around like a crazy person. Cause you have so many things to do. It has been interesting to have conversations with you because you're just so, not that you weren't present before. That's not what I'm trying to say. You're just more in your own body. Yeah. And that's a big thing too, that I, you know, I think through this podcast, through therapy, through doing all this other kind of energy work. And that was a big thing from my massage was she was like, you know, you need to go put your feet in the dirt right, and in the grass and in the sand and like you are a very grounded person, but you're holding us so much in. And I was like, it resonated so much with me because of my anxiety. And I'm always right. like all over the place. And it was finally like, oh, wait, I actually kind of have some control over this. Exactly. So maybe I and should do something about that. And it sort of leads into what our guest today, who is actually studying for her PhD in shamanic healing, which we'll mm. get into in the podcast today. Today, we have Kay Tuckerman on the program. Oh, Yeah our sweet friend, our, our fellow Aussie. Yes. Oh my gosh, y'all, her accent. Just get ready. Get ready. She, the, throughout the podcast, Laura was texting me like, oh my gosh, her voice is so soothing. I could just like, just listen to her all day. Yeah. Yep. Very nice. Well, shall I go ahead and tell our Yeah, tell everybody about her. All right. So Kay Tuckerman is originally from Sydney, Australia, and Kay has carved a niche internationally as a sought after director, performer, writer, and designer. Her directing career has garnered many awards globally, and her performing career has seen her headline some of the world's biggest stage productions. She is currently producing and directing, quote, Take Your Seats, a documentary about Broadway's closing and well, their closure during the 2020 time and beyond, adapting Tears on the Equator into a screenplay and creating the pilot The Wicked Cometh. Other recent credits include the lead in the horror thriller film Mother, which was released in 2021. Kay has performed on Broadway in Summer, the Donner Summer Musical. And other highlights include Les Miserables, The Boy from Oz, Mamma Mia. She's also performed at Madison Square Garden for the NBA alongside Jennifer Hudson. She's won multiple awards for her solo performances and can be seen on screen in The Matrix, The Loudest Voice, which was opposite Russell Crowe and Simon McBurry, the characters on Netflix, Royal Pains on Network USA, as well as many other shorts. As a designer in Kenya, she was nominated for an African Academy Award for From a Whisper. And she, as I said earlier, Kay is currently studying for her PhD in shamanic healing. Please welcome to the program, Kay Tuckerman. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Kay. How are you? I'm great, you guys. How are you? Just lovely. Doing just excited to be here with you. You know, that's all that really matters. <laughs> 
100%. And so, well, good morning. And uh, I think we should just jump right in. What do you say? Fantastic idea. I'm down. You know what they say, big jam. Big jam, for sure. Big jam. (laughs) Okay. For everybody um, that's listening, Kay is wearing a shirt that says Fig Jam on it, and I didn't know what that means. Can we start off this interview with telling everybody what Fig Jam is? Because I think a lot of people are in yeah, the dark. I do too. I really Come do. on. Come on. Really? People don't know what Fig Jam is. Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Yes. You- we'll make an exception for this. <laughs> It'll be in an Australian accent, so I'm sure it's swearing better. will be charming exactly. in Australian. So Fig Jam is fuck I'm good. Just ask me. Uh, we're just, Love it. Yes. Everybody needs some more big jam in their life. (laughs) Mate, I'm so good. And everybody needs to get a fig jam t-shirt you can go on amazon they're 20 bucks and they come in various colors and yeah it really makes you feel good to have like a t-shirt on that says fig jam because it's so random and obtuse and no one really understands what it is but you know you know inside what fig jam means (laughs) and it just gives you that little pep in your step (laughs) i love it as you know our podcast centers around trauma and kind of have a continual conversation about healing and overcoming that that trauma. So we've kind of recently learned, and it's interesting to find out, you are actually in the process of getting your PhD in shamanic practicing. Can you explain mm-hmm. what shamanic healing is and how you kind of plan to bring it into the creative process that you've been such a part of this whole time? Yeah. So during the, I'm not sure if people remember the pandemic. <laughs> Small little thing that happened. <laughs> and lockdowns and what have you. And I it was interesting the timing of that because I just wrapped a feature film and was due to do some pickups and production was like, well, we think we're going to be filming. And then, you know, this is the end of February, beginning of March 2020. So <laughs> finally they said, no, we're not going to do it. We think something's going down. And, of course, you know, the next day, all of New York, all of the world was shut down. And so I was like, okay, well, they're going to go into post with that film. I'm in post on a couple of other short films that I'd written and directed. And so I was in Postland. So that was okay. That was going to work. And I thought, you know what? It's actually a really good time to study. There was a program that I really wanted to do at the University of Southern Queensland. And I reached out to them and had a fantastic inspiring conversation with my supervisors, Janet McDonald and Daryl Chalk, and listening to the way they talk academically about the arts and creative process, I was just like, oh my God, I hope I get into this program. So I was accepted and the umbrella topic that I'm investigating is the application of shamanic journeying to the creative process and performance practice. So the notion of that is that was of interest was the age we're currently living in is known as the age of trauma and the relationship to ancestry, intergenerational trauma and shamanism comes through what the Andean shamans would call the age of the fifth Pachacuti, whereby the world is so off kilter and out of balance that their power animal metaphors involve the eagle and the condor, both birds of immense power, but the eagle 
has more ego attached to its power, while the condor will sit back, observe, and be more connected to the land, to the planet, to spirituality. So as the eagle has now become way too powerful, way too destructive, way too focused on money at the expense of everything else. So it's now time in this age of trauma and age of the fifth Pachacuti for the condor to just go, okay, you guys have got to sort this out. If you don't, you know that I'm going to have to swoop on in and sort it out for you. And that's what's happening when you look at climate change, you look at the imbalance between financial status of all human beings on the earth. I mean, even basic needs, access to housing, access to food, access to access to healthcare. And so I, I found it a really fascinating topic. And certainly if I, you know, look through the macro lens at my own industry, how are we caring for each other? How are we ensuring representation? How are we ensuring that people feel supported in their own industry? And, you know, and that can be from, you know, the creative process through to, you know, like writing something for yourself through to performance and being in a, in a creative studio, working with a director, working with, you know, people on the production team. How can we care more for each other? How can we ask the deeper questions? How can we make sure that everybody is inspired and empowered and encouraged to do the work to the best of their ability? And, you know, I think there is sort of this carryover from, from the eighties and, you know, an, an extraordinary, you know, woman that again, everyone should follow and everyone should, should support is that of Debbie Allen. And, you know, Debbie's work in, you know, with diversity in the BIPOC community now is astonishing. And of course, we all remember her from her iconic line in fame. If you want fame, smashing, you know, a stick into the dance studio floor. If you want fame, well, fame costs and right here is where you start paying. And there's something like extraordinary, like, elevating about that, that it fires you up and, you know, you're, you know, you're so, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I'm going to kick my leg high. I'm going to, you know, and so how do we melt that a little to an age now where everybody is under more and more pressure, more and more pressure to work harder, work faster, work themselves to the bone and people are hurting. And how do we soften that a little and just say, okay, if you want fame at what cost, and how do we work towards that with support and encouragement and invigoration and a true soul connection and to the work? And how do we create on that level and not see, I mean, you know, I have so many performer friends who have taken their own life. I have so many performer friends who, you know, you know, sometimes too, I will, you know, do an audition to put it and, and I'll just be in tears and I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's not the approach to the work. The approach to the work has to come with deep cellular level joy for creativity, for supporting everybody in the arts, for that energy somatically being transferred to an audience. Because, you know, you can have somebody on stage, you know, just 
phoning in a performance, somatically that energy in a quantum field is not going to affect somebody in the audience. Some the person in the audience might go, "Yeah, enjoyed it, love. Yeah, it was good. Let's get it. You know, let's go and get a bite to eat." But if that performer has worked on a cellular level, on a deep somatic level, whereby all energy is vibrating, you know, through their own body map and outward into a vibrational field in the quantum area, then that performer has a chance of really affecting somebody else in the audience and energetically connecting. So that's the investigation. How do we go back to the beginning, back to ecstatic, magico, religious expression? Well, I have a question on that, Kay. Do you, you said that we as human beings all have a shamanic mm-hmm. history that we can always tap into even, even in today's modern world. But what do you mean by this? And like you're talking about going backwards. So what do you mean by this? And how do we exactly drop into our lower and higher realms? So my shamanic ancestry would be connected to the Celts and to the Nordic shamans. So every ancestral path tracking back will track back to a time where people were more connected to the earth, more connected to vibrational field and energy. And so usually what would happen in a community, in a tribal setting, is that somebody would be chosen. So the elder would be someone who would be looking out for the the next, the chosen one, so that that shamanic ability was being passed down. And people would go to the shamans if something was wrong, If and the shaman would tap into where in their body this misfire was being held. And so now fast forward, if you look at books by, like, you know, The Body Keeps Score. Ding, 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 my favorite book. <laughs> I mean, it's astonishing, and it's only now that the world is slowing down enough to breathe again, to try and connect with nature again, to connect on a greater level with spirituality, with comprehension of how the body keeps score, how in shamanic language they would call it chords, how chords have attached themselves to our body. And, you know, it's only by cutting those chords that we can release the trauma and the pain of immediate past and distant past, how we can, you know, just start to heal those wounds. And, you know, we're only starting now to understand you know, importance of ancestry, importance of land rights, importance of, you know, human connectivity on a really deep soul level. Yeah. Don't you think it's interesting how there's all these different, you know, practices throughout the world, uh, you know, whether it's Eastern or, you know, kind of more Middle Eastern, whatever kind of that Everybody, I think, you know, kind of has had this attitude of like, okay, coexisting and and let's get along with each other. But when you really dig deep, a lot of them are very much based on this idea that we in the Western world are calling, you know, intergenerational trauma. While they've kind of known that all along, when you start to learn about, I mean, we interviewed a, a medium, intuitive medium recently, and and just kind of how that soul to soul connection and kind of past trauma gets, you know, it just keeps going. So it's not just necessarily, you know, an actual 
earthly experience of, you know, your dad was abusive. So now, you know, you're either suffering some trauma or you're abusive yourself. It goes back further and further than that, that it almost, you know, we, we can try to explain it in so many different ways. Like, okay, well, this is in our DNA or this is, you know, through just many, many, many generations. But fascinates me that there's been so many people out there that already knew this and already have been putting it in practice. And we just are kind of like late to the game, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like the white fella's been a bit slow off the mark. <laughs> a little bit. While being... <laughs> well, yeah, so shocked. Like, imagine, like, you know, like, while being so quick off the mark to industrialize, to, you know, bigger, better, faster, or and I made a shit ton of money, and the cost has been to the land, to the planet and the people, the First Nations people who understand the land. And, you know, I mean, there's a example during the Australian bushfires. I don't know if you remember, just before the pandemic, yeah. Australia burnt down. Like pre-murder hornets, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the murder hornets. Yeah. Murder hornets. Oh, God. But yes, the bushfires were like the beginning of like the madness. It was, it was, you know, and the thing is that, you know, the First Nations people in Australia had been saying, oh, I hate to tell you, but we kind of been saying for a really long time, don't do that there, don't backburn there, don't plant that sort of thing there, don't move those trees. We, oh, oh, well, you know, we tried to say everything would burn down and it did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't you know? even know that that was part of it. So they, they mm. literally were like warning them, like, don't do it. Yeah. The earth is going to punish you. Yeah. Because the way that the undergrowth and the different combination of, of bush, as we would say, was being planned was basically going to create its own weather system within an ecosystem if a bushfire ever, occur ever occurred. And there, there it was, you know, someone, I mean, it was so hot. And then someone either throws a cigarette out a car window or deliberately lights a bushfire, throwing matches into the bush. Or, you know, sometimes too, you can get a lightning strike, you know, various reasons. And all of a sudden, this whole ecosystem just exploded with this bonfire of, you know, hideousness only to be followed by an even bigger bonfire of hideousness known as you know the Lord. pandemic it's just it's crazy to think about kind of the sequence of events i remember people saying at that time like you can't make this up like this could be a movie in and of itself like it's almost like this is the apocalypse coming and and these are all these warning signs but it's yeah. just crazy yeah. But it's, I mean, I love those memes during the pandemic where someone wakes up from a coma. Yeah. It's like, what did I miss? It's like, well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this like, oh my God. <laughs> I have a random question. As an, as an acting coach, when you're coaching actors, there are scenes obviously where they have to tap into their their trauma or their past experiences if you decided to go that route. But is it, in your opinion, do you think it's it can be dangerous to go into those darker, more scary places. And do you believe that an actor has to, if an actor's doing a really long, apart for a really long time on Broadway or, or a long, like a year long shoot as a character or whatever, do you think that the actor can come back from reliving that stuff over and over and over? Or do you think it changes them on a cellular level? Hmm, I think that's a really good question. Like in terms of like if you're going through a scene, yeah. right, and you're like, I think you used this in our pre-interview, you know, you're... We're talking about the, the La Mancha. Name from, 
Yeah. 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 If you're you're reliving a rape every night on stage, how does that not Mm. seep into your subconscious that you maybe went Mm. either triggering if the woman had been raped in her life or, you know, or she had, if she went through it so many times that it told her brain that she actually was raped at a certain point, you know, can you drop it? I mean, I know we have as, as actors, we have this as if reality, which is supposed to be the safest place mm. in the world. But I know a lot of actors who it's very difficult for them to leave it on the stage and to, and, you know, they take it home in the, in the evening. And like you said, you've had a lot of actors who have unfortunately taken their lives. I wonder how much of it seeps, uh, how much of our work inevitably will seep into our subconscious. I just wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good question. And again, it's come up with my studies and it's really only in the last seven or so years and more so in the last three years that there's been more studies into well-being and the process of caring for the creative who are stepping into these realms because every single person is affected differently. And so that's where collecting the data is a really fascinating process because every everyone is different. Basically, the human brain doesn't know what's true or false. You can condition the human brain to believe anything. And so if you apply that notion to performing something very traumatic or triggering or deeply emotional, one actor might be able to go in and just go, yep, I got this. I'm a good crier, drop in, nailed it, walk out. Somebody else might go, Oh God, how am I going to do this scene? Now, then you have the the different mediums. If you're working on film, you might need to show up, do the scene, you know, repeat it several times to coverage. You've worked with your coach. You've worked it technically, nail the scene, you walk away. Now they will have intimacy coaches and, you know, friends on set, you know, during those moments, just in case someone melts down. I think that's a really interesting notion to explore too, as to where does the responsibility land? Is it the acting coach or the director's responsibility to be a psychologist? Is that too far? Do we, you know, is the intimacy coach the the go-to? And then if you expand that into theatre and you're doing 800 shows of you know, Aldonza's, for example, in Man of La Mancha, where there's a rape scene, West Side Story, where there's, Anita, there's the Anita rape scene, Slave Play, which is very provocative and, you know, triggering ancestrally. How do you prepare your work to get in like you would a singing warm-up? How do you prepare emotionally, like an emotional warm-up, to be able to separate sufficiently to be able to walk into that scene, step into it? perform it, walk out and do like a singer would do a, a warm down and recon- and go, okay, great. I emotionally box that up and set that aside for the, for the next show. And I'm now, I cut the cord on that. Like a, shamanically speaking, shamanic practitionally wise, you would cut the cord on that and that you would step back into your own life. So you, you would compartmentalize, but it's a really good question and I think it's a really quite new way of working and investigating and I think creative academics are catching up on the data of that because again every single person is is different somebody might have a reaction of immediacy others who have more of a disassociated personality might be fine for 
500 shows and then suddenly lose it. Right. But you see actors all the time, Kay, that like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, that they it's so difficult for them, even on set, to step out of that reality. And then they take it and they're obviously, you know, how much of this is, I don't know, me mental illness or is it just they're so good at their craft is part of being good at the craft, being able to step it, step out of that reality and leave it. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think it's different for every individual. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very good, like, I think, introspective thing to think about as an actor. I think it'd be impossible if you are somebody that has empathy and that that is especially very empathic, that you can try to cut the cord, you can try to compartmentalize all you want, but it just seems like it would be impossible, especially when we're talking about things like the body keeps the score. What I was saying, like, if it keeps the score. Yeah, like, you can't hide that part of your, this kind of leads to our next question, but it, it kind of makes me think that you'd almost have to be kind of on that spectrum of a psychopath to not internalize some of that, you know, like you'd have to be like straight up, like I am an actor at all times in all ways in my life to not be like, I experience rape every night and it's fine. Like that just seems to me like you, if you aren't taking a little part of it, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm totally off base here, but I know that, you know, we've kind of talked about how you know, you've had some encounters with narcissists. You seem to be the people who get away a little bit more scot-free, in my opinion. But, you know, and not to make too much light of it, but would like to kind of discuss that with you because we've had a lot of experts on narcissism on here. We've had a lot of people that have had encounters with all of that. And what have your experiences with that been? And, and how do you deal with those people once you've realized that they have a personality disorder? If you could see Kay's face, she is just like... I don't know what just happened there, but it, I... I think we've triggered. I am so sorry. Would you like me to get an intimacy <laughs> coordinator in here? Narcissist. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Listen, two words, run away, run away. <laughs> but the thing is, I guess with narcissists is that they're so good at what they do that, you know, you don't know that you've been hooked in and are being dragged further down into that murky world. And gosh, if you come across these people, shut the door real quick, create a really strong boundary and do not let them into your world. Do not get when they go on, oh, but you're being so mean. Do not let them into your world. Do not, do not shut them down. Cut them out. Goodbye. Done. That's my advice for today. Goodbye. <laughs> Cut the cord shamanically. I think that, like you said, you don't know you've been duped, really, because they groom you in the beginning and you know, they love bomb you and they give, you know, they make everything seem like, oh, you know, they're this, they're the answer to all of your, especially if you're dating them, they're the answer to all, every man you've ever been with is like, this is the one you've been dreaming about. And then they take the mask off. Mm -hmm. And I think that narcissists in general they don't know that they're narcissists. And if you tell them they're narcissists, they think that you're insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. They have a very clever way of operating. I don't know. In a way, it kind of, speaking of shamanic, it's almost like it's a little demonic, you know, like almost like when you see the story or other people kind of play out the Adam and Eve story with the snake that comes out and is like, 
you're going to want this. You want the knowledge. You want to, you know, this is all like good stuff. Like, and the whole time, everybody else, I mean, well, technically there wasn't anybody else, but, you know, as a viewer, you're going, don't do it. Like, we can see it. That's clearly a snake. Like, stop it. Stop listening to the snake. But when you're in that moment, when you're with the snake, it's like you don't see them for that. You just see it as, this is a great idea. Oh my gosh. Like, this is amazing. I'm going to go for this. And I think it's a little harder for, you know, when you're in it to see it. I think some people can kind of sense it, especially if they've already been through it. They're like, no, no, that, that's a snake. It's going to make you eat the apple. Don't do it. But as somebody who has not know that. <laughs> you better I'm bring just, in the Bible. You better. I'm just trying to bring it all full circle for everybody. As Kay said, shut the door. But for those that don't know what they're getting into, it's impossible to make them see the light until the mask comes off. So I guess I'd want to know, maybe even from a like shamanic perspective of how do you kind of flush that out and know what you're working with beforehand? Or is that not even possible? Oh, Lord. Well, let me just say, disclaimer, I'm not a shaman, nor am I a shamanic (laughs) practitioner yet. I am studying. So let me disclaim on that press button. So what I would do is uh, just be a lot more in tune in a way. And yeah, cut those cords. The minute you, if you think you're seeing a red flag, you are. Yes. Yeah. Listen so to your intuition. It's listening to your intuition. Intuition. Yeah. It's just going, what's my gut saying on this person? And you were going, oh, they're amazing. That's so fantastic. This, oh, I love working with this person or love hanging out with this person or, or love dating this person. Or, yeah, it's, it's all amazing. And, and your gut's going, oh, oh, but don't listen to that because, oh, you know, but they bought me a lovely thing or they said that we're going to go here or they're going to, you know, there's all these promises and all these good things that you can't get these good things without this person. And it's like, no, alarm bells, alarm bells. If you hear those alarm bells, listen, run away, don't press snooze, don't press snooze. Don't, don't, don't. Just run away. (laughs) Run away. And also too, if you do see those red flags when you're talking to friends who are just going, I don't know, but XYZ seems so XYZ. It's like, hmm, are they though? Ask them to really watch and really trust their intuition. And then when you finally get them out of that hideous situation, be there for them because they will crash and burn like you've never seen. And they are going to need a lot of friends because they're going to be undoing a lot of damage because it's truly like just unfathomable. The level of trickery, fuckery and trickery that these people, you know, impose on you. And then of course, as soon as you do break away, it's the, oh, but I really miss you. How can you have done this to me? Uh. It's like, "Ah, run away, run away. Oh, well you missed out. Yeah. Big jam. Hey, it sounds like you've had some firsthand experience with someone who is because just because I I know I have as well. I think everybody on this program has experienced a narcissist at one point or their other or dated one. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with I you. I mean, Run if it's too away. good to be true, it probably is. I Listen, think that's the message. Get your Forrest Gump shoes on and run like the wind. <laughs> Just keep that, running. And then your life will be nothing Love but that. fig jam after that. So like Right, just exactly. Don't and put when they call you it. to say, Oh, but you must miss me, you just go, nah, fig jam. Yeah, yeah. You missed no time that, for motherfucker. That. I'm over here nah. fig jamming. 
of making fig jam. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to pivot here for a second away from a little bit of the narcissist. Let's talk about your film, Black Canvas, starring Miss Regina Lavere, someone who we had on the podcast last season. She mentioned while she was on the podcast that there was a moment where you were concerned about finishing the film because you were worried about your place in helping tell that particular story. Can you explain a bit about the film and why it was such a concern for you at the time? Yes, I can. Uh, so on the way home on the train, I, this idea just came to me and I, I wrote it. And so it was about a, I guess, a nine-page script. And so I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. It's a bit experimental. It's a bit, you know, surreal, magical, surreal, dreamscapey, trippy ideas and kind of cool. And I was like, mm. so the next day I took it into work and another amazing actress, Christina Robinson, Christina Acosta Robinson, Yale graduate, who's just awesome, support her. She was in the dressing room. I said, oh, you're good. Can you read this? I've written it for Jenny and just tell me, you know, if there's anything in it. So she read it and she was like, hmm, she got this, I can't do it. I can't do her voice because she had this amazing, deep, chocolatey sort of voice where she's like, hmm, I see what you've done. It's amazing. You must give it to Jenny. She's, she talks like, I don't know. She's like, she should be on every single voiceover because her voice is like, like melted, beautiful Belgian chocolate. And, oh, she's just fantastic. So I was like, okay. So I plucked out the courage after the show and I said, Hey, Jen, Jen, I've written you this, have a read, see if it resonates and see what you think. So she read it. She was like, Oh my God, I love it. I want to do it. And so we did it. I was like, cool. And she'd given it to a couple of other friends from the BIPOC community who were like, oh my God, this is really fascinating. And like, does your friend know what she's written? And it was like, okay, well, that sounds cool. Let's do it. So we filmed on a weekend in January down at Battery Park. It was so cold that the camera was freezing. <laughs> and we jumped in stretch limos. We went to different locations around New York. We went to studios. We filmed in two days. It was really cool. And then what had happened was we cut the film and it was working nicely. The climate with the pandemic was shifting what was appropriate, you know, storytelling and who should be telling stories. And so that became this quite, what's the word, empathetic conversation, concern conversation about was this the right thing to do? And then we wanted to expand the film and that's where Regina came in. And she was just, we filmed her stuff with all the voiceover in a bar in LA. I directed remotely and it was just such an amazing experience to work with Regina. And then we cut it and it, it's a really interesting experimental short film about 20 minutes long and it looks stunning the music is stunning Regina and Jenny are stunning and everything about it is fabulous except now that I just feel this this hole in my gut and just like do I have a right to 
be telling this story or have written this story, even though the seed of it was this tiny little, hey, Jen, Jen, what do you think of this? It's now the momentum of of storytelling has now shifted and changed and BIPOC storytellers, diverse storytellers, how, you know, was this my story to tell? Or should I have written this for Jenny? And so I messaged them both one day and I said, listen, I'm going to pull the plug. I just, I think I misstep and I should just know. And so both of them said, hold on, hold on. Sorry to interrupt. I was just wondering, you're feeling this way because you feel like you are telling a story about the black community and you're not black. Is that kind of? Yeah. And that was like from the original notion of the story being, oh, I'll just write something for my friend Jen Jen because we had a conversation. Fast forward a year or so, the whole conversation about whose story are you telling and is it okay to write this for someone or not? Have you done the work? And that was where the concern was coming from. And they'd all, you know, both read Jen, Jen, Jen had always said, no, no, not at all. And I said, but it's now elevated again and escalated again that, you know, the conversation that needs to be had needs to be deeper. And there was such conflict because, again, it was just like, Jenny and I had a conversation. She wanted to film something. How about this? But it has shifted beyond that. And so what was amazing was talking to, they said, no, 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 stop, stop. We're having a conversation. And both of them were like, no, you need to finish this film. It's a great work. It's great writing. And so then what they both did was give it to a bunch of friends. They gave the film to a bunch of friends in advocacy, in the BIPOC community, family, friends, professionals, colleagues, and sort of did some polling. And it was interesting that all the feedback that came back was just like, oh my God, this film is just like a gut punch and an elevating, inspiring, empowering, you know, film for these actors and for this character. And it was like, okay, but still. And so the three of us spoke and it was just the most you know, I mean, I was in tears and, you know, just wanting to know, wanting to ask questions, wanting to know more about their life experiences, their experiences walking down the street, their experiences in different places throughout the US. You know, I wanted to know. And I think the basis of the conversation, I was talking to another friend about this same thing the other day, an incredible practitioner at NYU. And they said, the difference is you asked. You took the time to ask us and have a conversation and learn and not just write something from and just goes, huh, well, this is how it is. Too bad. This is what we're doing. End of story. It's the opening of a conversation. It's the listening. The listening. Exactly. Exactly. Listening to how the seed of an idea can be expanded, how things can be further open conversation, deepen conversation, have the hard conversation, ask the hard questions, learn how to be a better advocate, learn how to be a better ally, learn when to step back and give people platform. How do we watch Black Canvas? Is there any way? 
It's in the film festival circuit at the yeah. moment. Yeah, we just got into Cannes International Short, which is really cool. And yeah, we're hoping to do a screening in, in New York probably early next year and then look at getting it onto the streaming platforms. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I think in general, having that conversation, like you mentioned and like Todd kind of said, is that I think people are starting to learn that it's not necessarily like their parameters, but there are some like some things you should do as far as how to go about it to be sensitive to the history that we've all gone through and what is still going on. So that, you know, I think another big difference is that you're shining a light on something that a lot of people want a light to be shown on and to give that perspective. And that's the definition of an ally, right? You're giving, you know, a platform and you're helping versus just this is the story I'm going to tell without your input. Mm. You're just going to act in this and this is, you know, I am the white savior that is along to show your black experience. And that is not what's going on. You know, the fact that you're having the conversations and you're open to having the conversations, you're open to their input and open to telling their actual story, I think is the difference versus let's try to capitalize on something I know nothing about. It's more like, I want to know about it. Let me know about it. Let me help tell your story in any way I can do that. Mm. Helping be a vehicle for them versus being a vehicle for ourselves. Yeah, and I think there's also a difference too with, you know, Black Canvas was written specifically for Jenny and Regina, you know, based on a tiny conversation and an idea, a goal to create something. Would I necessarily go and, you know, take a different story, a factual story? I don't think so. I don't think that's my story to tell. Would I come on board as somebody who was a supporter and a cheerleader and an ally? Absolutely. But would I write, you know, mud? No. Right. But this was a very specific thing. It was dealing with the lack of representation on the walls of elite art galleries. And at the time, there was a lot of press about, you know, the top, you know, CEOs of many of the New York art galleries being removed from their positions because of lack of representation. And still today, it's highly disproportionate, the amount of artists of color being represented in elite galleries, you know, especially in New York and around the world. What I'm noticing throughout this entire interview is that you are a huge, huge supporter and champion of other women. Why is that so important to you? Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid question, Todd. (laughs) But you're actively, like, actively supporting your friends and colleagues, and it's kind of refreshing, actually. But you have to. You have to. I tell you what, let's go back, cast your mind back to McKellar Musical Society when I was the terrible rose seller and then the Nadia Comaneci-esque gymnast in Pippin the Musical. And the amazing thing is at that time when I was starting out and inspiring that the people who ran that musical theatre company, Robert Wells was a hoofer from Broadway. I didn't even know what a hoofer was. I didn't even know what Broadway was, but I was just like, no, I want to be a hoofer on Broadway. That's what I want to do. And, you know, Bob Wells was... Uh, just the most astonishing human being, the kindest, the most generous, the most elevating mentor, as were people like John Anderson, who is now doing head of marketing for Amblin Entertainment for Steven Spielberg's company, Lisa Vanderveer, who she married one of the young people in the company. And, you know, those people have always been like, just go for it, you know, like support people, like the way they support people 
And that was instilled in me like, you know, when I was 13. And I think you have to extend that generosity. It's too easy to just go, oh, fuck that person. What a Oh, I nearly, I just cut it's that okay. bit out. It's okay. It's an Australian, Australian accent. It's fine. It's loud. <laughs> Support that person. I know, it, like, it's too easy. It's too easy to just spew toxic shit. Like we're working in the creative industries. We work as creatives. If you have a creative bent, go for it. Love it. Encourage other people. Share ideas. But the thing is too, you know, like we were talking about, we had our Bible references before with the apple and, you know, Adame. And, you know, there's one thing, cut to the chase. There's a meme I saw once that I so loved and it was about just read your one-page Bible. And it's just like, oh, fuck, what's the one-page Bible? <laughs> and you open the one-page Bible, it just says, don't be a cunt. <laughs> I love that. Well, that is a good – it's like the golden rule, but even better. Listen. Listen. Oh, my God. My friend Jennifer and I, we always talk and we have all these rules for life. And one of them is you cannot be an asshole in this world. You just can't be an asshole. <laughs> and that's totally right up there with that one page it's bubble. one-page bubble. I mean, look, you can. You can be an asshole. But why? Why <laughs> be an asshole? Like there's too many good people on the planet. There's too many beautiful things exactly. to explore and live. Like why be a dick, you know? Everyone knows how hard the industry is and how hard the hustle can be and how high you can get and how fast you can fall or if you can mess up an like just simple things, messing up an audition, cracking on a note in a show. But whatevs, whatevs. So just be an awesome person. Support other people in the industry. Support women in the industry. Support women of color. Support the LGBTQ community. Support people. Champion their work. Yeah. You no, know, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to say. It's it's truly not that hard to say Michaela Coel created an astonishing series with I May Destroy You and is an astonishing creator. It's not that hard to say. Yeah. You know, why keep it to yourself? Yeah. Celebrate, celebrate. Yeah, that's know? just like I think, yeah, for sure. That. We need more yeah. of that, more fig jam, more, <laughs> you know, just in general, don't be, uh, see you next Tuesday and you know, in general, let's love each other. I think that like that really encompasses kind of everything that we've talked about in this whole thing. It's just like, don't be an asshole and things will turn out well for you, obviously. So, you know, I think we've covered a lot of ground in this <laughs> interview and I'm sure we could literally talk for hours and hours because you are so fascinating and I love your accent as well. And you can cuss all you want. But, you know, we, we do know you have places to be. Uh, and so we have a tradition on this show that after we kind of talk about all this deep stuff, give people, lot, drop the knowledge on the people, that we do a little question of the day for our guests that we also answer. But we want to know, and the question of the day for you, Miss Kay, is what's been the most significant plot twist in your own life? Uh, yeah, that would have to be, yeah, when I was doing a musical in Australia and it was going really south. Why? Because people were being assholes, and I was hanging in there. I was doing, you know, I was really hanging in there. I was showing up. I was doing the best I could, but just uh, my soul was just being eaten alive. And the plot twist with my friend who had hired me to do The Matrix, literally it was like, Oh, mate, I'm so unhappy. I need an out. And this text went ding, ding. 
<laughs> my cell phone, mobile phone, it was you saying Australia. Hey, hey, it's Katie. Okay, I'm flying you to Kenya in two weeks to be the art director of a TV series. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm doing a show. And she's like, no, no, you're coming to Nairobi to art direct a TV series. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, I'm not. She goes, yeah, I'm putting you on a plane in two weeks. I'm like, no, seriously, you're not. She's like, think about it overnight. And then I was like, well, could it be in three months' time? She's like, no, we're not moving a whole TV shoot just for you. I'm flying it in two weeks' time. I'm like, no. So I thought about it overnight and a friend in the show who I'd known for a really long time, she's like, Kiki, you are always so up. You're always so positive and enthusiastic about supporting everybody. I've never seen you this low. And I was like, well, funny you should say that because I got this text from Katie saying you should go to Nairobi. And she's like, oh, yeah, you should you should go. And I was like, no. I've already told her no. How can I? (laughs) And so I thought about it overnight and I was like, I don't fucking do it. So in two weeks, I flew to New York. I went to a friend's wedding. Christiane Noll, name drop. She's currently doing film, a fun home in Connecticut. Go and see her. She's amazing. She sings like no one else. And so I went to her wedding and then I went around the world to Nairobi and I arrived and Katie was like, tell me when you land. And I'm like, okay, I've landed. She goes, oh, I forgot you were coming this weekend. I'm in Mombasa. (laughs) And I was like, oh, fuck you. So I found a taxi driver and she drove me all around, all around Nairobi until we finally got to where I was staying. And I was like, okay, now I'm in Nairobi. Okay. I'm in Nairobi. And it was life-changing, incredible, and led to six years working on feature films, major commercial productions, edutainment, documentaries for like Raw TV, National Geographic, commercials for Wyden Kennedy with like, you know, name drop directors like Alejandro Inarutu Gonzalez, shot by Shivo, insane, fabulous people, the amazing Wanuri Kayu, and led to me being nominated for an African Academy Award for Production wow. Design. Yes, that's right. You heard it here. <laughs> I have that nomination. Woo-hoo. Big Woo-hoo. jam. Yeah, add it to the list. I mean, that that's amazing, though. And yeah, what a wonderful plot twist as opposed to a negative one. <laughs> so it goes to <laughs> your whole story of being supportive and somebody that was supportive of you lifted you up out of that. So full circle moment, I feel like. Well, we've had just such an amazing time talking to you and can't thank you enough for coming on today. I am hoping to see you in New York in a few weeks. Maybe that was my little text, maybe my little plot twist there. We'll see. But yeah, this is amazing. Yes. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you for supporting me. And, you know, I pay it forward and support you both back and support everybody in your network. And yeah, just ask people, fig jam that shit, you know? Yes. That is the biggest takeaway I'm taking from this, but also that you are an amazing woman and feel honored to have uh, talked to you for this long, honestly. And then just all the exciting stuff. You make me excited. I need to go out and do something. <laughs> hey, you're amazing. Thank you. Thank for you so much star. for coming on. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah, welcome, you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. 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 God, I love her. She is just 
fabulous. Yeah. She has the most positive. And that's why I wanted to point out, like, she is such a champion of other humans, you know, specifically women, but she's always been so kind to me. And, you know, like I told you guys off air, you know, when I met Kay in that class in New York many moons ago, I was just saying, who is this talent that walked in the door? It was just, she has such a presence in her work. And then she's just such a nice human on top of it. And it's just, you know. She definitely so has happy. like a light about her that's just around mm-hmm. her. And even before, because we were on Zoom a little bit before you got on and she was just like, oh my gosh, it is so amazing to see you. And you, it makes you feel so special. Like there's just yes. something about her, but it's not like a fake thing all. It's like Mm-mm. she wants to champion you, even if you don't know her well yet, <laughs> because she sees the light in other people. And I think it's beautiful. And her work ethic, like even with her talking about her, you know, moving towards becoming a shamanic practitioner and with her work ethic, when it comes to like directing or whatever, she just doesn't, she wants to roll up the sleeves and get in there and do the work, no matter what it is on the deepest level, most constructive level possible. And I really, really, really think that she's, we haven't even, and she's done, she's accomplished so much. Lots of things. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody can even kind of fathom, like if we were to, it kind of reminds me of Willem, like the list yeah. of things like she sent us her resume and it was just like, oh, my gosh, like and then she did this and then she did this. Like there's almost never a break. Correct. But you can see the progress as it goes on that, like she's always trying to do better and greater things for other people, too. I mean, it's just always it's not like she's on some hamster wheel like she is. Right. She's going places. And it feels like she lives for the inspiration of what the day is going to bring her. You know, and I think that, yeah, her, I hope that she did bring up in the interview, you know, how having an intimacy coordinator on set and how it's so important these days. And I completely agree with her. I mean, you know, making people comfortable in this day and age, because everyone is healing from some sort of trauma that, you know, she didn't say this is the age of trauma. It is the age. Then that little clip of even that whole discussion of like, I need to go look this up, like the eagle and everything, because It did. I love connecting with her on that because I've always said with the pandemic, like the things that even led up to the pandemic, I feel like were signs that something big was going to happen. And there's this big shift. And I think it really has made us all kind of turn the mirror on ourselves and be like, okay, well, the whole world kind of went to shit for a little bit. And that was not cool. But also there's a lot of other things that weren't cool in my life before that happened. And so it was kind of a forced us all to be like alone, like alone in our houses and and be still and focus on what's going on with us as people and to take a look and reflect and actually make change. If you're in a place to do that, you know, if you're that kind of person and she is clearly that kind of person and Mm -hmm. I just can't, I can't, it's hard to express. I mean, we were only over zoom, but it's just, she's, got an energy that I just feel like is is super cool and I'm I'm just really grateful. Even the fig jam. Fig jam forever. Like fig jam hashtag fig, fig jam, jam for jam. life. I'm gonna actually go on I'm getting that shirt. My birthday is next week. I'm turning forty years old and I think I'm gonna go on as a birthday present. I'm just gonna go buy myself a fig jam shirt because I am good. <laughs> yeah. I am good. Ask me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I guess we should also answer the question of the day. Hundred percent. I'll ask you first. Okay. okay. So Laura, what's been the most significant plot twist in your own life? Todd, I have to say, was that day that we met each other, like not met 
but reconnected at the beer garden and ended up having, and I'm not just blowing smoke, for real, I feel like that we had lunch that day that turned into afternoon drinks that turned into dinner dinner. (laughs) and And then more drinks (laughs) this whole podcast came from that but it wasn't just that it was it was a healing moment for me because of things that I had been through Mm -hmm. and I had talked to people about but it was like no this is an opportunity to actually talk and help other people going through this I cannot believe that you just said that. I told you I was going to surprise you with my answer. But well, it, it really, ha- I mean, did. the things that have come from that, it is, was so motivating. This whole podcast has been so motivating too, for me personally to like, yeah. just seize the day and go out and do say yes, like not to everything, like they clearly got a filter, but, you know, going through dancing with the stars on this doing, you know, the kind of the accolades that I've gotten, the recognition, the success of the beer garden, everything, it's not only feels like it was propelled by that, but it was also manifesting all of those things in such a healing thing after the pandemic, you know, after going through all of that to be like, no, there is still opportunity and there are still things to reach for. So God, you were the plot twist. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, I, I don't know how to follow that. I mean, yes. I mean, I, yes. And I guess maybe there's been two significant pop plot twists in my life because this podcast, I agree with you, Laura. It's, you know, I was talking with a dear friend of mine about it the other day and, you know, talking about trauma at eight o'clock in the morning, every, every weekend has been a very eye opening cathartic process. And it's been healing in a lot of ways. And I think that when we both bonded over our own experiences with trauma and, you know, various narcissists in our life and various people who did not champion us in the best light, I think that it is created out of that sadness and out of that trauma, we have birthed something beautiful that is actively helping others recognize, like we said the other day, if we reach one person through this entire, even through these two seasons, if we reach just one person and have them go to therapy, and yeah. recognize their own demons, their own trauma, then we've absolutely done our job. So absolutely, this has also been a significant plot twist in my life as well. I completely agree with you and humble that you said that. I love you. So I just want you to know that. Love you too. Love you too. And we're just getting started. I know. We're, we're just getting started. I would say that the second most significant plot twist in my life, I recently, I knew I had a half brother, but I had never met him and we had never been in contact. And a few weeks ago, he found me. And how did he find you? So his, unfortunately, his mother passed away recently and he wanted to reach out to our father and he had lost touch with our father as well. And when he went to reach out to our father, he didn't have his information at all either. So he went and he had been searching for years, but then he decided to go ahead and find this other service and he actually paid for a different service that he had used. And I guess he found dad's information. So he called him and they reconnected, which has been a beautiful thing as well. And it's been very healing for them. But then he called me and we, we spoke and it has just been such a breath of fresh air. He is, you know, having the same father and having the same DNA as someone who grew up as an only child, having the same DNA as somebody. That's big. I mean, I didn't even really Put it in that context, too, of you being an only yeah. child. like Yeah, I didn't know that, you know, I knew that he existed. But, you know, we talk and we have similar senses of humor, which I think yeah. we ultimately, you know, my dad is a funny guy. 
so anyway, long story short, we are going, my father, my mother, and me are going to visit him in March. And I think it's just going to be a very beautiful moment. So that's the most recent significant plot twist in my life. That is a plot twist for sure. But I'll tell you what, Laura, this podcast is reaching people. I mean, we have people in other countries that are listening to us. It has been such a rewarding experience. And the people that we've had on have been so, I think people in this day and age are open to talking about the wounds and healing the wounds so they don't continue with this generational trauma, so they don't continue to pass it on to their children and continue the cycle. So, you know, congrats to you. Congrats to us. Congrats to we you. Thank you. And Kay, thank you for coming on today. Yeah. And congrats to everybody that's listening for continuing to, to work on themselves, even if they haven't started yet. It's You're doing coming. the work. You're doing the damn thing. And also thank you to our the two listeners that are in, you know, Saskatchewan or, or <laughs> Canada. <laughs> but uh, seriously, though, it, it, it is amazing to see that we're, we're reaching people far and wide. And honestly, I never really understood when people say I'm humbled by, you know, getting recognition or something, but it's very humbling and just I can't thank everybody else enough for listening and also you for for helping make this happen. Love and you, I, friend. Love you. I'm sappy today. <laughs> it's good. It's good. All, All right, right. y'all. We'll have a wonderful time and uh, we'll see you next time on Next Page. See you next time. 